Your new or existing home is one of your most important assets, yet too many people rely on sites, shows, and tips from people who are not in the real estate business when making important decisions. It's time to get real and trust a professional. This is Real Real Estate Today with host Deb Tomorrow. In this series, you'll learn about making smart decisions when it comes to buying a home, selling a home, or even staying in the home you're in. Now, here is your host, Realtor Deb Tomorrow. All right, welcome to Real Real Estate Today. I am your host, Deb Tomorrow. We were just discussing, if you tuned in a few weeks ago, I think I shared the fact that I'm working off a computer that has no W, that my W doesn't work. And um, it's, it's the worst to get messages from you. I'm having to... It's not the worst, it's the erst. It's the... <laughs> that is true. This it's, is my problem. It's like secret code, and I'm like, mm, let me see if I can decipher that. I know, I need to sell some houses so I can buy a new... We try to fix it, it's complicated. When I'm at home and use this laptop, I just plug an external keyboard into it, and it's fine. But when I take it places, obviously I'm not going to unload all of that stuff because it's too much stuff, which leads us to the topic of today's show a little bit. See how I came from? Rachel's yeah. applauding me. I was like, come full circle. So let me introduce. I'm your host, Deb Tomorrow, a realtor in Bloomington, Indiana. If you're new to the show, thank you for turning, tuning in. We've been doing these shows for a couple of years and really trying to ramp up um, a lot of our interview shows. We've done tons of topics on home buying and home selling and inspections and financing and credit and all that good stuff. Um, our credit show has been really, really popular. I looked at the numbers on that lately and I was like, wow. Um, but we've got some really exciting shows coming up and this is going to be part one actually of a three-part series on what we're calling sort of alternative housing options. Um, and so we are welcoming uh, Daniel Weddle with Carpenter Owl. Welcome. Uh, and he uh, is an expert on tiny houses. And so that's going to be part one of our series. We're going to talk to him today. And then next show, we're going to have um, some uh, people from Bloomington Co-Housing. And I don't know if you've ever heard of Co-Housing, but it's a different kind of housing model where you have independent like homes, mm -hmm. but there's also some shared um, common spaces. And I think it's very popular with maybe retirees who want independence, but also want to have some, um, okay. You know, so it's not like a, like a commune. No. It's like you, like you would know the people that you would have the shared spaces. With? Yeah. Like you would have a shared kitchen and you would have some communal dinners and things like that. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to learn more about that because that's a very new concept, but that is coming to Bloomington as well. And I believe we're going to have the builder and the architect on, and then we're going to have um, a couple who um, does home, uh, has a homestead um, out in Nashville, mm -hmm. Indiana. And so we're gonna have them on too and talk about homesteading. So I'm really excited about this series. I think it's real interesting and different. And I encourage everyone to tune in. So we're going to get right to it because um, I think uh, some people looked at my list of questions for today's show and said, there's no way you're going to get to all of that. And I said, no, we probably won't. But um, so welcome, Daniel. Um, I don't know if you want to introduce yourself or tell us a little bit about your business or. Uh, sure. Yeah. I'm Daniel Will. I'm the founder of Carpenter Owl Tiny Homes. Uh, we're a tiny home company that builds out of Bloomington, Indiana and ships wherever you want. Which is, we were talking about before the show and Karen and I were intrigued by that because you're actually all over the world. Potentially you could work all over the world, whether you go on site or whether you build something here in Bloomington and ship. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that's, if it's you know, outside, you know, the whale or highway system, we definitely fly and, and build on site. Yeah. Interesting. So, um, Daniel's company, a carpenter out, 
just had an appearance on the DIY network. Um, and so Karen and I watched that show last weekend, Tiny House. I'm going to get it wrong. Tiny House, Big Living. I still get it wrong, but that's right. Okay, Tiny House, Big Living. Um, and so they showed an example of building a home for a client who was looking for something um, vacation-y. Uh, and I want to give a quick plug that there are still some uh, – this show is going to be um, replayed a few more times this month on the 15th at 10 p.m., on the 16th at 1 a.m., set your alarm clocks, and on the 22nd at 10.30 p.m. So there's some still some opportunities. I would say Eastern. like Eastern, Eastern time. Standard. Thank you very much, yeah. Eastern time yes and um, there are other time zones out there aren't there deb there are but mm. see i would be missing it i would think oh you know if i was in a different right. time zone right yeah. all right thank you so let me ask you tell me how did you get started in building tiny homes and kind of how did your business get to where it is today well it's a big story but uh, i'll start start the thread of it uh the first cabin I built was eight by eight. So really, really tiny with a small loft. I built this part of Dandelion Eco Village. And it was sort of a reaction to slowness within the city. I mean, we just decided, I just decided one day to, to build something, to have a place to live. Uh, it took four to six weeks from dawn to dusk in October. Uh, I lived there for about a year. It's where I learned to play fiddle. And then I transitioned to building for a client while at the same time building my first tiny home on wheels, the Snails Away, the Fiddling Snail, mm-hmm. which is the one that I, I still currently own. I uh, finished that about three years ago, and up until about two weeks ago, I lived there full time. Now I'm uh, in a rental and setting up a tiny house B&B. Oh, okay. So the Snails Away, snails away will be available uh, as, part of, as part of the rental. Yeah. And are all of the... So the B&B, it'll be one location and different tiny homes there or different tiny homes throughout the county? Uh, ours will be one location. Oh, okay. Uh, and okay. then we're working with the city to get them on more, more permanent situations. So. Yeah, and I think we're going to come to that in one of the segments because I don't know how much you've worked with the city or the county, and, and so I have some questions about that. Um, so, so you did, until a few weeks ago, live in a tiny house. I did, yeah. So one of the questions I posted on Facebook yesterday was, you know, hey, what questions do you have, you know, for a tiny house expert? And somebody posted, why, with a bunch of whys. And I said, I said, well, ask that question, but maybe not so many whys because we want you to feel welcome. But some people do have that question. I mean, I, I think it's very diverse. We have some people that are like absolutely love the idea. And then there's other people like, oh, my gosh, why would you want to do that? So what's, what's the appeal for you? Well, I'm a custom home builder, so I can answer from the perspective of any one of my clients. Mm-hmm. You know, as a 20-year-old, 28-year-old man, when I built mine, um, I wanted to be out of college debt and all the debts in my 20s. I paid them off at 33. So I'm a debt-free human with a good chunk of equity to, to choose what I invest in with the next part of my life. I'm currently designing a home for an 81-year-old woman who wants something quality built to be the last thing she's in to leave equity behind. Nice. So there's the huge gamut. My uh, last two clients from last year, one just wanted a really simple space where she could garden outside. The other one was a medicine maker in the Appalachian Mountains. Okay. Wanted a space to do client intakes, to process medicines. So for me, versus other tiny home builders, we're so custom and so specific to each client. Mm-hmm. I sit down, and what's your four, five, six wants, needs, passions, hobbies that make your life complete, and how can we... Uh, help you to bring them into the world better. Interesting. You said, when you said about the um, Appalachian uh, medicine, I'm going to say it wrong, but 
the that client that you're working with. It reminded me I had a house for sale last year out in Steinsville that we kind of called a, a modified tiny house. It was the original doctor's office of Steinsville. It had been converted to a home. It was about 480 square feet and uh, just had two rooms, And uh, but it was, you know, 100-plus years old. So that that theory, I think, is that has been around for a long time. It's kind of interesting. Well, I think that also, too, I don't know who asked the question why with all the whys, mm-hmm. but, you know, I think – you know, over the past several years, decades, maybe like we've just become very, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like we just accumulate so possession much possession oriented. Yeah. That like, it is kind of hard to go, wait a minute, what would I do with all my stuff? But I would maybe not right now when I have still have, um, young, you know, young children, but I think I would could venture to that way that I want to be a little bit more simplistic and get rid of some of this stuff mm-hmm. that's like holding, you know, holding us to this house. I mean, there's that saying like some people buy a bigger house to hold their their stuff. Right. Where maybe we should be going the other way. I don't know. Was what did you have to give up when you moved into a tiny house? I assume you moved probably from a rental house into the tiny house. So I moved from cooperatives. Okay. So I actually gained space. Okay. By moving into into. A tiny home. Gotcha. Gained access to my own kitchen, to my own bathroom, to my own bedroom. Yeah. I had my own bedroom in the space, but it was in a house with sometimes 14 or 15 other humans. Wow. So for me... You gained privacy. (laughs) I gained gained autonomy. Yeah. Yeah. Privacy, autonomy. Um, So compared to most folks, it's probably not the the best. Right, right. Well, you know, because there was another show that was on HGTV. I don't know if it's still on... um, and I don't know what it was called, to be honest, but it was like house hunters, but tiny houses. And they would go and look at like three tiny houses. Um, no, And there was another one that the guy would actually like walk you through like, OK, you have to get rid of stuff. Let me kind of like coach you through that. Have you ever run into any clients that are kind of like, well, wait a minute, this isn't going to fit my, you know, something that they start to panic, <laughs> have buyers or more. It's like, wait a minute, I'm not going to be able to fit everything into this once it starts to come together. Uh, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> uh, the first two two tiny homes I did were for fairly minimalistic humans, um, okay. really basic stuff. But yeah. I've got a current client where I don't think everything that they want is going to fit yeah. in the budget. So yeah. it was me the first time. It's like, all right, which of these pieces do we drop? Like, which is the least important thing to carry on? Right, right. Um, but I will say for, for purging and for getting rid of stuff as you do move into smaller spaces, it tends to be like purge 10. Mm-hmm. Because once you've purged to the point that you're like, I really missed that one thing, that's when you know you've done enough. And that's how my life was. When I finally <laughs> when it hurts a little to, bit. <laughs> yeah, when I decided to put the second burner back in my kitchen. Yeah. Like, that was too far. Yeah. Um, and a good technique I've heard for doing that is just put all the stuff you think you can live without in storage. Mm. And what is in storage in six months can go. Right. Because you will pillage through it that whole time. Right. They say to do that in your closet too, right? Have you ever heard this? You turn your hangers around at the beginning of the year, and at the end of the year, any hangers that are still turned around, then that needs to go. This is called like my basement. This Mm -hmm. is called my the closet under the stairs Mm -hmm. in my basement, and like it's like oh we got to keep we got to hang on to that. I don't even know what's in there. We should plug our good friend Cheryl Smith right here with uh, Consider It Done. She helps a lot of people with downsizing, uh, and so she would be a good resource if you need help with that. Because I don't know if you specialize in the uh, psychological aspect of <laughs> getting rid of the stuff. The psychological side of making things 
for you. Right, Not exactly. Exactly. Well, I'm sure it helps that you can say, you know, that you've lived in it and um, and lived happy. But you said, I read on the website that you, um, and I want to talk a little bit more in the next segment about kind of the practicalities, because I think people have questions about that. But you had basically cooked on a one burner, like electric burner. So you said you added another yeah, burner. Yeah, having multiple places to cook and moving toward propane. Yeah. The big changes I would have made. Right, right. Interesting. Um, so how, I don't know if you can answer this question in two minutes or less, but how is a tiny house different than an RV? Other than, I mean, obviously they're beautiful. And I know the ones you, you make are um, works of art. But how is living in a tiny home? If you say, I want a tiny home compared to I want an RV, how is that a different lifestyle? Uh, RVs are built to move every day. Yeah. That's the big difference. Okay. They're tiny homes. Some people will move them at, at pretty regularly, but for the most part, we've always been parked three, six months at a time. Okay. Um, they're not quick. You know, it takes me still maybe half an hour, an hour to get ready to roll. Okay. Um, so I would imagine you don't have all, uh, obviously it doesn't have all the gadgets to like make sure the books don't fall off the shelves and things like that exactly, that RVs yeah. do, but um, a lot of them are very similar. Let's go to break, and then when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about the practicalities of living in a home and how the construction is maybe a little bit different than stick-built and some good stuff like that. So stick around. You're listening to Real Real Estate Today, your home for smart real estate. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you interested in buying or selling a home? Not sure what the next step is? Deb can help. Go to RealRealEstateToday.com and click on Start Here. You'll be asked a few simple questions and Deb will personally contact you to help answer your real estate questions and connect you with a realtor in her personal nationwide network of realtors. So even if you aren't in Deb's service area, you're guaranteed to find a good match wherever you are. Visit RealRealEstateToday.com. In the spirit of Have Couch Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-294. 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. 
Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417. Or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Real Real Estate Today. To reach Deb tomorrow or with questions and comments about the show, please send an email to Deb at realrealestatetoday.com. That's Deb at realrealestatetoday.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back. Thanks for coming back to Real Real Estate today. I'm super excited about the show that we have today. We're talking with owner of Carpenter Owl, Daniel Weddle, who is a an expert in tiny homes, which is such a popular thing. There's so many different shows. I was talking in the previous segment. I was like, well, there's a show that I watched about tiny homes. Well, no, there's another show. There's so many homes. But uh, Carpenter Owl was featured on the DIY Network the month of February. There's a few more shows coming up. So I would uh, encourage you to find a way to tune in. Um, you can go to Karen's house because that's what I did. I didn't get DIY Network on my uh, cable, but Karen had it on hers. I don't know why we have the same cable system. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't know why. I okay. don't get it, but you do. That's why I was like, really? Do you get it? But anyways, um, February 15th at 10 p.m. Eastern, 16th at 1 a.m. Eastern, and 22nd at 1030 uh I think that's PM uh, Eastern time as well. So tune in. It's a really interesting show where they go through the process of building a home for a client. And um, we're going to talk, I think, towards the final segment about some specifics on that show, because I have some questions about how you get hot water in that tub. But anyways, you know, you, we, Karen and I were watching the show and we were both taking notes. We're like, yeah. how does that? Well, how do you do that? How does that work? Yeah, I was like, what? Wait a minute. Right. I don't understand. How does that work? So, so I want to talk a little bit about some of the practicalities of living in a tiny house. But before that, I'm going to back up because I also want to point out you have a gorgeous Instagram account. And so if y'all youngins, cause I, I have an Instagram account, but I sign on once a year. Um, but all you youngins that are on Instagram as well as Facebook, you've got a great Facebook page too. I know you've got someone who does, you have a good, a really good team behind you. I think that was it's the impression growing, I yeah. get. Yeah. yeah. So you have someone who does a lot of the social media stuff for you. You want to give her a shout out? Oh, uh, yeah. Lily Walker does. That All thing. right. She does a great job. Um, so check them out on Instagram as well. Okay. So how is the construction of a tiny house different than a stick-built house? Uh, in the case of our tiny homes, it's it's not a lot different. Okay. I do frame up pretty traditional framing styles. The the things that venture off is that I, in, in addition to using nails, I, I screw everything and then I go through and put lead-in bracing, so steel bracing okay. across all of the all of the studs and then everything's bolted down. You know, basically, I want my homes to pick the trailer up with them. Okay. Uh, making that marriage between the chassis and the, the body. Okay. So are most of the homes that you build on a trailer? Uh, most of the homes I build are. The studios I've done in the past have been um, often like uh, – 
Post and Peer Foundation. Yeah. So explain the difference because on your website you've got the the tiny homes, the studios, and then the excursion structures. Thank you. The excursion structures, which I thought looked really cool. Did you see those, Karen? I was. Yeah. I was like in the back of the pickup truck. It was kind of cool. Um, <clears throat> so talk about the difference between the tiny home and the studio, so people know what you're when you were. So tiny homes refer to four season homes. Okay. You know, the insulated. Typically have kitchen, bathroom. Studios are more, you know, a yoga space, a garden space, not often insulated. That's like a three season, three mm-hmm. season use. And the excursion structures are just whatever you can really imagine for travel and play. I think Karen, this is sim- the studio is a lot like what you're referring to as your dream she shed. Yeah, apparently that's a new she thing. She sheds a thing. Yeah, yeah, I've been working with a she shed lady. I, I, <laughs> place to go drink wine is I, that's how how Karen. How it's do you find she shed? Yeah, a wine. Oh, a wine studio. A wine studio. It I makes do, it sound classy and not trashy, yes. doesn't it? <laughs> in my in my backyard, I have space for another shed. Where's mommy? In the wine studio. It's okay. Um, okay, so. Um, so most of your tiny homes are built on trailers. I guess that's what I'm trying to like figure out because one of the questions we get a lot is, well, I want a tiny home. And I think a lot of people are envisioning that built on a piece of land, on a foundation. And what, but when I watch them on TV, I'm seeing them all on wheels. And so I'm confused. Well, the pop, pop art right now is the wheels. Okay. You know, that since they're not just selling a structure, they're selling a lifestyle or okay. a conceived of lifestyle. Um, and, you know, I guess, yeah, that it's just trending to have the wheels be what's apparent to people. If you were building in the city, it's a whole lot. Even in the county, it's a whole lot easier to include a foundation. Really? Not in terms of an easier build, but in terms of following what has come before and what's acceptable. Yeah. So if it's built on wheels, is it registered with a BMV? Uh, yeah, typically. Okay, so it's like a mobile home kind of uh, Mine's considered... I think they like classify it as a travel trailer or a cargo trailer okay. for insurance purposes. So you would pay, would you pay property tax on that? No. You'd pay uh, your plating fees. Plating fees. Interesting. See, as a lender, that's what I, I think of too. So I watch shows like yours that was on and I go, I wonder if the person didn't have their own cash resources to pay for the home. Like, how would we do the lending on that? Yeah, she went on a 20-minute thing after watching the show about how would you finance that? Could you finance that? Yeah. Who would finance is that? that a, yeah, is that in my world, is that considered, uh, you know, mobile home financing or could we be, would it be modular? Like, yeah. you know, I just had all these thoughts. Like, could but the it, wheels and axles be removed later on? I mean. I think the question that we'll have to look into is if it has a foundation. Because I think if it's on wheels, there's not much we can do. But um, if it's got a foundation, then you know, we just run into appraisal issues because usually the appraiser has to compare the home with like homes. And so if there aren't many tiny homes out there to compare it to, it can get tricky. I know I was worried about that with the house in Steinsville, the little doctor's mm-hmm. office home, because it was so small and it only had one bedroom. And I thought, gosh, if somebody buys this in fine, luckily we end up with a cash buyer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, I think that if there were more, especially here in Bloomington, Indiana, if there are more of these uh, being built and people actually living here, you know, like I think we'll talk about that later on possibly. Mm-hmm. But 
I think lenders will then shift mm-hmm. and find a program that will allow people to obtain financing for that if that's what the need is. So, you know, you create a product out of a need. Mm-hmm. Right. So. And some of the bigger companies do offer financing. If okay. you're just curious to how that works. I assume it aligns more with the RV industry yeah. than yeah. with the home industry. Sure. Mm-hmm. But um, Titan Tiny Homes out of Chicago offers financing. Oh, there you go. Okay. All right. Well, let's talk about plumbing because this is the question I have. These are what people want to know, right? At least what I want to know. So um, on the DIY show, you the part of the vision of your client was to have a soaking tub on an outdoor deck upstairs on the roof so he could kind of soak and I'm assuming he had, you know, have some gorgeous view that he's looking at. How did that fill with water? So the tub on that one? Yeah. So through the deck system, the pipes are, you know, they yeah. come through the deck uh, joists. Okay. And so is there a water system. tank that is filling It's a 40-gallon hot water heater. Uh, it's an insulated closet on the lower deck. 40-gallon. That's a big hot water heater. It's a big antique tub. Could have got away with a 30-gallon one, but... We had the space, and the price difference is better on a 40-gallon tank. And where does the water source come from? Is there another water tank or that, that then feeds into the hot water? Or So right now he's set up very close to his farmhouse. Okay. But his original plan was to be on a, a lake, yeah. and that would have been uh, – the pond itself and the lake itself would have provided the water. So you had oh. a pump system for it, which he told me all that when I got there. I right, just, right. I'm learning how that stuff goes. Sure, interesting. Um so a 40-gallon hot water, yeah. that's amazing. Don't ask me what I have at my own house. I would have You no probably idea. have a 50, but, I mean, a 40 is not much smaller. Wow. Okay. People are putting in 50s because they're almost the same size as a 40. But, I mean, that's a, I'm talking like in a normal house, it's a big, tall, 4-foot, 5-foot tall thing. And, and that's a big water heater for yeah. a tiny house. Typically, people are going to have it on demand or I did a 12-gallon tank. My partner has a 12-gallon tank. I've done, I think, 20 for one client. Um, if I hadn't had the bathtub feature, it would have been right. smaller. And um, so most a normal tiny house would have a water reservoir kind of something that you could go and fill, or was it dependent on hooking a hose up to another source? Most of them will be hooked up like an RV. So okay. you'll be hooking up a hose, or you can have freshwater tanks. But, okay. Um, I would say, by and large, people are hooking up. And did that... I don't know if I saw this correctly, but I thought you were saying on the show, when that tub drained, you had like a gutter downspout system yeah it goes into a gray water system okay. so there's a it's actually piped into the gutter so it's a closed okay. system into it it doesn't just run and then it kind of goes runs away from the yeah where he directs his gray water his uh in that particular house there's a composting toilet yeah so there is no that was my next water. topic um <laughs> yeah we can go ahead and jump into let's that talk one. let's talk toilets so toilet wise for tiny homes what, what seems to be popular right now when i go to shows is either the composter yeah like a high-end one yeah or a low flow rv toilet so a flush toilet goes to tanks okay uh, but if you get into like the commercial side of rental you know actual bed and breakfast set up yeah like, uh, portland has one those are just standard flush toilets so what you're going to see more often than not is a composter low flow or standard flush okay tell us uh, what a composter is because i know but i want someone so, else to explain it uh in the case of the composters we use they're a peat moss based they're constantly vented so there's no smell that develops and there's no moisture that remains and they're hand cranked on the side um yeah so you so you use it and then it just sort of gets absorbed into the peat moss? So, yeah, you use it. There's a door that opens. You use it. You shut that door and you turn a crank and that mixes it in with the peat moss. 
And then how often do you have to change the peat moss? I think that one's about every two months. You know, maybe once a month if you have two people using it. Okay, and I have to ask the question. Does that go for both uses? Both, uh, both uh, number one and number yeah. <laughs> like, no, Don't you? say that word. Okay. <laughs> the higher quality toilets uh, for the excretions are <laughs> separated. So one goes okay. forward, two goes backwards, and they don't ever meet. And that's because oh, the smell okay. develops not from feces, but from feces becoming wet, becoming anaerobic. The word feces has never been said on this show before, right. so Rob. No, but I'm really, I mean, this is those, these were the questions that I have and as well as whoever, but I thought I would never probably ask. I would just keep on pondering, like, I wonder how that works. Well, there's the fourth really fun version of toilet, which is the incendiary toilet. Ooh, burn which, it up. Which like burns that. it up to basically dust and then you just have a drawer to pull out. I have one client that's very obsessed with incendiary toilets and I'm not quite sure why. But It seems unsafe and yet fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's an exciting... Uses a lot of energy. Really? Oh, that's, Do you use solar. propane? To... I think the one that they were sourcing was electric. I have seen people do it with solar as well, like solar dehydrators. <laughs> that I, like, That's not common. It's like taking a magnifying glass and... But Pointing it at the sun and just burning it up. Oh, my gosh. We should probably go to a break right now, right? Yeah, we should probably go to a break before we say that word again. All right. Uh, stick around. We're going to continue on answering uh, lots and lots of questions about tiny homes. So stick around. You're listening to Real Real Estate Today, your home for smart real estate. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you interested in buying or selling a home? Not sure what the next step is? Deb can help. Go to RealRealEstateToday.com and click on Start Here. You'll be asked a few simple questions, and Deb will personally contact you to help answer your real estate questions and connect you with a realtor in her personal nationwide network of realtors. So even if you aren't in Deb's service area, you're guaranteed to find a good match wherever you are. Visit RealRealEstateToday.com. Can you truly be a change agent in your community? We think you can. Tune in every week for Envision with co-hosts Thomas Rosenberg and Ronnie Langer-Kroger. The show is all about building an inclusive and just future by connecting people with ideas. Connect with what's happening in your community, your country, and around the world as we speak with amazing guests who are fostering change and making their communities better. Envision is heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Real Real Estate Today. To reach Deb tomorrow or with questions and comments about the show, please send an email to Deb at realrealestatetoday.com. That's Deb at realrealestatetoday.com. 
Now, back to this week's program. All right, welcome back to Real Real Estate Today. I'm your host, Deb Tomorrow. Make sure that you're following us on Facebook. We're going to have lots of um, good posts and links up. We'll help you find Carpenter Al if you can't find it, but they're super easy to find on their Instagram account, uh, on their Facebook, and then also on their website, which is real easy, CarpenterOwl.com. So we're talking today with the owner, Daniel Weddle. Can you tell me a little bit about your team members? Because uh, I think I'd mentioned uh, earlier that I thought I-, I was under the impression from the show, the DIY show, and then also just from your website that you've got a really nice team going. So I thought I'd give you an opportunity to give them a shout out. Yeah, yeah. So I actually counted at the end of the last house how many people had worked on it. It was 16 different humans. Oh, my goodness. Um, and some of that was because we were on TV. I extended the offer out to local craftspeople. Because mm-hmm. you, know, you had iron work and some things like that. We had like iron work. Done. We had wood, uh, wood turned lights, uh, mm-hmm. the custom shower, the custom mm-hmm. plumbing. Um, oh, the pebble floor was really nice. Yeah. We were impressed with Sycamore that. Sycamore tile works. Yeah. Okay. Um, they go by another name or two, but uh, yeah. the work of Chris Elam. Uh, directly in the shop are my colleagues, Ben and George. And then Lily Walker with Picture Luck Media does uh, all of our online, all of our video work too. Great. Um, so let's talk about uh, local tiny homes. So I want your help because I get people calling me and it seems like it's more and more now that they're first time home buyers and they say, well, I want a tiny home. I want to build a tiny home. I want to, and I'm not even sure how to tell people where to start um, because I don't know. I think I have a bad, um, a bad notion that the county makes everything difficult, and so that the county is going to be like, no, no, you can't build a tiny home. But I don't think the county can restrict the size of a home, right? I believe the planning department does that yeah uh, and kind of a mixture of planning and, and building and this is going to be there's going to be lots of retractions here because i'm not an expert in this stuff right but what i understand from building is it's roughly 320 square feet is the smallest you can do it may be down to 220 and it's okay. achieved by combining spaces like the kitchen and the living area yeah have an overlap the bathroom has to be a certain size that's kind of fixed bedrooms has to be seven by ten so there's minimums on width. Okay, so there are county feet. rules. There is rule. There are rules based on each room. I believe this okay. minimum bedroom for one person is 72. I think it's 90. That sounds about right. I know um, I've seen that before. So, yeah, once you put those in aggregate, you come out to right. – it's either 220 or 320 last I checked. Right. So you can have a pretty small house. Yeah, that is pretty small. Um, and I assume most of the bedrooms are usually lofts. That's usually what I've seen in the – In tiny homes, they're lofts. And that that's where – things become problems because um, in my homes I do standard staircases, but a lot of them they'll do different heights that aren't following building code, not Mm. wide enough or ladders, which are kind of a no, no across the board with, with often with fire departments for Mm. the reason of trying to get someone that's unconscious out of a loft is not Uh. safe for that person or the people trying to save them. Okay. So same same egress rules that we would have for a home. And I always kind of jokingly tell my clients, like, that's not legally a bedroom. The fire department can't get you out of there easily. Can't, you know, there's not, if it's a basement or something like that. So on the other hand, no one's doing bed checks at night, <laughs> but, um, but okay. So that's interesting. All right. So this is starting to make sense to me. So if you built a tiny home on a foundation, you're going to have to follow local building code and have inspections and that sort of thing. Yeah, if you follow the building code, you'll be fine. Okay, but if you built a tiny home on a trailer, you would not have. You would have a different. You standards. could. The problem with tiny homes is there's not 
you know, there's an addendum to the IRC, yeah. to the building code, and yeah. it's not formal, formally part of the International Building Code. And again, this is stuff I'm, I'm sketchy on, but it's, yeah. I'm providing the information I can. Right. Um, my assumption is if you were to follow um, like mobile home code, mm -hmm. you'd have a lot better shot at being able to legally pull up and park in a mobile home park. Right. Um, you know, there is some gentrification that's happening due to tiny homes where mm -hmm. now it's on, you know, 7, 10, 15 shows on television. Sure. People with upper middle class, middle class backgrounds that are now interested in doing something that we restricted before because, you know, people didn't want RVs or trailers pulled up in neighborhoods. So there are laws being changed. Yeah. It's kind of like what Karen said that uh, the need arises and then lenders change their rules to kind of meet that need. And I think that same thing will happen with tiny homes. I learned something interesting. I randomly stumbled upon some little YouTube video and I was watching it and the lady was describing the difference between a modular home and a manufactured home, which we run into all the time. But it almost relates to this because mm -hmm. she defined it totally different than I usually define it. But she defined it as a modular home is built to local building code, whereas a manufactured home is built to the HUD standard, mm. and it's different than local building code. So it's not those uh, mobile homes or manufactured homes that have vehicle identification numbers and axles and all that are built to a different standard than um, uh, the local building code. And I thought, I've never looked at it that way. I've never looked at it that way either. And right now my office is uh, has been like a little hot uh, mecca of manufactured housing requests right yeah. now. And there's been a big, you know, anyways, that's a whole nother yeah. show between, yeah. you know, stick built or modular yeah. and manufactured. But that's a good way to look at it. But it almost sounds sure. like a tiny home might end up falling somewhere sort of in between. Um, and then it becomes sort of this local ordinance of, if a tiny home meets, you know, these manufactured home stand travel trailer standards, you know, do, where do they allow you to put them? Because I could certainly see the city of Bloomington, God bless them, I love Bloomington. However, I could see them raising a stink about if you wanted to park one in someone's backyard. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I would say to that, though, the laws or, you know, the, the political situation is changing here. There's a lot of support for ADUs, for affordable housing. So there are becoming sets of rules to follow. Um, things like pocket parks where they're looking to put smaller houses on, you know, one acre plus lots. Um, pretty new, pretty progressive stuff. And what I typically tell people is just have the conversation. You know, people in the planning and building departments want to be on your side. Yep. You're doing something good and adding something to the community. Just have the conversation. What gets frustrating is when people come in with really obscure laws, trying to bend their thing to fit. And then instead of a conversation, it's an argument or positions are marked out from the beginning. And I tend to be on the other side where it's like, how can we work to make what I want to see happen in a way that's safe and reasonable to you? Yeah, you're so true. The last person I spoke with, um, young lady that was interested in building a tiny house, I had actually contacted, uh, there was an empty lot that was for sale. The price is incredible. If you're looking for an empty lot up in, I don't have it listed, but I just think it's a really great price. And I know the seller's super motivated. It's next door to a client of mine. And so I, I had uh, messaged that client and said, hey, if you know anyone that wants to, you know, 
buy this lot next door to you. The seller's really motivated, yada, yada, yada. And he said, I do know someone. And so she contacted me. She goes, but what I want to do is put a tiny house on it. And I was asking her about, you know, well, with wheels or foundation or what do you want to do? And I was trying to figure out how to guide her from there. And I kind of said that. I said, I think you need to go talk to the county planning uh, and talk to them about what you want to do. And they're going to kind of guide you as to what the rules and regulations are. Um, I definitely like your point about kind of approaching it kind and friendly and, you know, not, not, don't go in there thinking they're going to turn you down, but go in there saying, this is what I want to do. How can we make it? Can you advise me and help me, you know, figure out how to make it work? Exactly. Um, interesting. So let's see, what are my other notes here? Uh, let's talk about, we talked about, um, you want to talk about storage? I love, I love in the show that, um, you're utilizing every, every bit of space. So like, under the stair had a drawer and, you know, just those, the little passage from the loft area. Was to fun. the de- It was kind of cool. <laughs> um, I thought, you know, if you get out of that, that soaking tub, you might slip and slither back <laughs> in. But, what, right. but no, I, I think it's like, what do you create or do you think of these and go, okay, you look at the space that you have and then something comes to mind and think, okay, I'm going to create this this uh, storage hack or, or something like that? Um, well, for me, the spaces are built around their uses. So it's identifying those three or four or five really primary uses. Um, when we were originally going over this question, it's kind of like, what's the coolest sort of storage you've ever, <laughs> yeah. you've ever had? Which is a little bit different than your question, but yeah. um, storage in tiny homes is, it's more or less a fetish. You know, when you go, it's like, that's what people are really, right. really selling up. So I pondered that a bit, and I, I have like answers for different houses of mine. Okay. I think the most practical was uh, the Cozy Rosie. I pulled the whole house over the wheel wells to make it cheaper to build for a client that had a small budget, mm-hmm. and then turned that entire space into basically a rolling basement slash skirt that's attached to the house all the time. So they have a massive amount of storage in a tiny house and a cheaper price tag because we lifted it up. Um, so you can crouch down in it? No, no, it's got a door, door that opens at the end okay. and you can just slide slide stuff so in. So the entire underneath is like just a drawer system that you can access. Yeah. So you have that entire footprint. You have like a foot by seven foot by 12 foot. Wow. Basically yeah. 100 square foot of storage. Right, that's, yeah. Uh, the Honey on the Rock tiny house, mm-hmm. the one that you were just speaking of with like the spaces under the stairs, all the little spaces, the secret door that goes out to the deck. Mm-hmm. I've done that on a couple houses. That one is just for playtime. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Getting from bed to tub and tub to bed. Yeah. Uh, another house before had a second story entrance. So the lower secret door on that was very practical for loading in groceries and firewood. Um, and then the Honey on the Rock also had the hidden whiskey still, which the whole house was built around, which is pretty insane. That was crazy. It's not functional though, right? The whiskey still is functional, yeah. It's oh, a it Hazard is. County family heirloom. Okay, because that was not clear to me in the show because I just I was telling Rachel about it. I go, they have this whiskey still and it's hidden. And we watched the Moonshiners TV show. So, you know, I know all about the stills, but I thought, can you what? Yeah, I didn't understand that it was functional. Well, you can make liquor with it. But uh, the question coming back to what was my favorite, my yeah. favorite um, places to store things is in the, the Woolly Resistance house. The client was like, I want lots and lots of hidey holes. <laughs> and to be honest, like, we have some really good ones in that house. And I can't even remember where like they are. Like you tap are. on a piece of wood and it the things like, are just opens hidden. up. Yeah, yeah. That's really cool. That is cool. Yeah. And I know you're going to have to take another break here soon. But that leads into the question I, I was asking you at my house. I said, 
I wonder um, if he names every one of his homes. Like, where is the origin when you come up with a name for each of the homes that you build? It, I found it very uh, interesting, like how people will name their boat and like christen their boat. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and even today as you're uh, sharing uh uh, your stories with us, you're referencing back and calling the home by the name. So I don't know if that's something that you have created or if your clients have. Names just come. I don't know <laughs> if it's, it's, sometimes it's from the clients, sometimes it's from me. Um, current project, Broomsticks Bakery. Uh, that's from from the client. It's a rolling kind of witch-themed bakery. Um, we also have the Sigil Owl or the Big Owl, which is our rolling truck project. Okay. But yeah, they're just, you know, the Honey on the Rock that's my favorite name story because it came from the only recipe included with the whiskey still from the family heirloom whiskey uh-huh. still was honey on the rock, okay. which is either a biblical tie coming to rock mm-hmm. okay. or just a, you know, it should have said rocks, but, right. but right. they didn't have the correct grammar. Right. How interesting. If it had been rocks, I would not have named it that, but yeah. honey on the rock was perfect because right. it's also going to a lakeside. Right. No, that is perfect. Well, Karen, we're totally down with the names are just organic because when we do a transaction together, her as a lender and me as a realtor, we always sort of have nicknames for the, so we can refer to them yeah, yeah. and they just sort of come, we just kind of look at each other and go, what are we going to name this one? Or, or it just sort of comes out and it just. Lenders, just, lenders use, uh, we do our file by the like the borrower's last name and realtors use the address or the street mm-hmm. and so if I say hey what's going on with John Doe and she's thinking John Doe oh Main Street you know so we try to come up with we're weird John Main John yeah. Main <laughs> and then there's like usually some movie reference or like we had one and his name sounded to me like a Greek cheese so we called him Halloumi because that was a Greek cheese that she's never had but anyways yeah it doesn't it's it, doesn't always make sense to everyone, but it makes sense to the people who matter. So there you go. All right, let's take our final break and come back and finish up with a few more questions. Uh, this is Real Real Estate Today, your home for smart real estate. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Are you interested in buying or selling a home? Not sure what the next step is? Deb can help. Go to realrealestatetoday.com and click on Start Here. You'll be asked a few simple questions, and Deb will personally contact you to help answer your real estate questions and connect you with a realtor in her personal nationwide network of realtors. So even if you aren't in Deb's service area, you're guaranteed to find a good match wherever you are. Visit realrealestatetoday.com. What's your coffee story? The one that defines who you truly are in a relaxing setting. It's where you share your memories, plan for the future, and talk about the now. My favorite coffee story is here with host Aniko Samoji. We invite you to listen in and share your coffee stories too. Bring your friends or just stop by as we talk about coffee and the inspiring stories that touch our lives every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Real Real Estate Today. To reach Deb tomorrow or with questions and comments about the show, please send an email to Deb at realrealestatetoday.com. That's Deb at realrealestatetoday.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Real Real Estate Today. I think this is probably going to be a short segment because I think I went long on the other segment. So I want to make sure I get all my plugs in up front because I'll scramble at the end and not get them all in. So our guest today is Daniel Weddle from Carpenter Owl, www.carpenterowl.com. I'm sure you can just search Carpenter Owl on the uh, Instagram for you youngins. I don't know how you find things on Instagram. I just love it how you just keep referring to, to people <laughs> on Instagram as, as youngins. Oh, my gosh, because it ain't me, that's for sure. And upcoming shows, uh, the DIY Network show that uh, was originally broadcast, I think, on the 1st. It's being rebroadcast throughout February on the 15th at 10 p.m., on the 16th at 1 a.m., and on the 22nd at 10.30 a.m. You can go to Karen's house and watch them. There you go. Great shows. Okay, I want to talk a little bit about... Um, kind of the art behind your tiny houses and also so two things I want to talk about curves and recycled materials because the one that you did the honey on the rocks was the one you did for the DIY show Um, and if you're interested in seeing all of these other tiny homes and um, studios that he's referring to they've got pictures of all of them on the Instagram and uh, for you youngins and then also on on their website so it kind of goes through the history of all of them but there were tons of curves and I know you're very influenced by musical instruments yeah, yeah. My house, the fiddling snail, was uh, based on the same Stradivarius, the curve that the fiddle's made off. And and so you kind of use the, I don't know what the words are, but the way that the um, construction of the roof is very similar to how, uh, is it? The it, body of the instrument? Yeah. The the yeah. Fiddle. So the concatenary, concatenary is when you hang a chain between your fingers and you move it in and out. The curve that that makes is called a concatenary. Uh, so the concatenary that the fiddle was made from is the roof roof line of my home. Okay. And it's made with a wishbone rafter system. Okay. So a bunch of big bolts and a bunch of big members. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and they're just so graceful looking and organic. I don't know. It just felt really, yeah. Have you ever done one based on a bassoon? Cause I'm a bassoonist. Not so, to date. Yeah. You probably should. Um, you can make some smokestacks. What? I don't. I didn't know this about you. We've we've talked about musical instruments in the past. I'm yeah. the I'm the alto saxophone. Right. But I, the bassoon, drum major and bassoon. Okay. And also show choir. But anyways, I'll show you my jazz hands after the show. Um, in the show uh, on the DIY show, you use tons of reclaimed material. Is that a standard? Is that something you typically try to do? Typically, the roof and the floor 
are the things that have leads on for reclaim. Okay. Uh, myself, because I, I take down roofs and I can repurpose the metal, but uh, I work with Gerald's Woodshed in Bloomington, Indiana for uh, the remnants of flooring. So I'm able okay. to pick up the little pieces that fall off the sides and he just, honestly, I bought it for him, from him for so long and he used to just keep it for people. Now he just specially makes a product for my tiny homes and he surprised me with it one day. I got there and he's like, I've specially made this for you. Wow. So I buy every bit of it he makes. Interesting. Okay. And are there other things that are reclaimed or recycled? Uh, in my home, the sink was. Uh, the countertops all came out of one sheet of copper mm. um, that someone just had in their garage. I'm mm-hmm. not sure. It's it's history beyond that. Yeah. Um, but to a varying degree. The bathtub on this recent build was yeah. pulled out of a home. Right. Right. Cool. Um, and what about solar? Because you've kind of mentioned that are a lot of people going solar or are they going electric hookup? You kind of plug it in like an RV? Uh, my homes are typically RV, so 50-amp hookup. Okay. Uh, the excursion structures, one of the ones from last year, we had flexible solar panels over the roof of that. Okay. So you can't really tell that there's solar on it until mm. you're like right up on it. Yeah. Um, but there's no reason. If you wanted to do an off-grid tiny home, for instance, referencing earlier, I'd recommend compost toilet, propane systems, and solar panels. And we would just wire up the system to follow that. You need to, like, when you have a, a location or something, you need to have a sampled composting toilet <laughs> to, like, convince people that it doesn't smell. Oh, Sorry, I'm fixated on this whole thing. It's not the thing. smell that gets people. It's the upkeep. It's the, like, having to eventually empty it, and typically people bury it. Yeah. So it's that part of dealing with it that makes it hard to be in the city with them because, you know, people aren't necessarily disposing of it correctly right right interesting um talk a little bit about the excursion um, projects that you do because um we haven't really talked about that much and i think that's an interesting might be a a way for people to get started yeah the excursion structures are are far cheaper they're far smaller um i've done some that i regret because they were, I used to have one on the back of my truck that was just a little too heavy. Okay. Um, since then, I've learned and knocked a lot of the weight off and a lot of the size off. Um, but they're basically, that's that whole area started from the fine arts side of me wanting to do what I call parade art. So making structures that I designed one that was could go on pontoons for the Mississippi. That one also was set up, you know, had tri-life. It could be on the back of a truck, it could be on a trailer, or it could be on pontoons. Oh, interesting. So... Um, yeah, just it's for adventuring and yeah. for inspiring. Right. So it's, it's, a, it's different than like a camper that you pop on the back of a truck. It's just got more, um, art behind it, I think. I mean, more thought it's just not cookie cutter. Yeah. Well, it just falls within you. Typically when you see structures from my studio, they're attributed to me, even if I'm not often, I'm following the concept of a client. Right. And that concept may get wrapped and handled in the woods mm-hmm. and the patinas that I use to develop structures. But at the end of the day, they're, they're not often designed by me. What are some of the things? So you had mentioned that you've learned over time some ways to lighten up uh, a structure. And I assume that being on trailers, that's really important. I know there was a note, I think, on your website about you know, the kind of trailers that you recommend and that you put your snails away on a used trailer and you probably recommend getting a new trailer with certain, you know, weight uh, standards and whatnot. So um, what are some of the things that you are able to do to kind of lighten it up or what are you really conscious of to try and keep it light? Yeah, my houses are actually pretty light. Um, 
you know, kind of compared to the industry. But uh, one thing I don't do, and this is was more for chemical reasons, but it has become for weight as well. I don't use a lot of plywood. I use a lot of steel lead embracing. So it's a, like a 1950s style way of stiffening up a home. Okay. Um, but for every couple sticks of that I use, I can save several sheets of plywood. And that adds up pretty significantly over the size of a home. Um, the wood that I have cut is especially thin tongue and groove, which then cuts another big layer of weight out. Right. And you know, and that also gives you more space, right? (laughs) Yeah. You get that, you know, every little five sixteenths of an inch. Right. And the other thing I noticed on your website was that you're very conscious of the width so that you don't have to drive it, um, and have special wide load requirements. So with, um, anything lower than eight and a half by 13 and a half tall. Mm-hmm. Uh, Indiana and most states, New York's a little different. They're a little, little narrower. And then under 26,000 pounds, you can just pull yourself. You don't need a CDL. Okay. Once you break those weight limits, then you do. Right. Awesome. Uh, Karen, do you have any other questions? No, I'm just fascinated by this entire interview. Um, I was so excited just when, when Rachel was first talking about it, I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about, you know, and we were like doing the Googling and going to your website and then we watched it and I thought this is just so interesting and Mm -hmm. I'm just pretty excited that I was, that you let me come back for another show (laughs) so I could be a part of this. So if people wanted to get a hold of you, what's the best way through your website? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's, Contact us on carpenterowl.com. And you have tiny homes that they could come and look at if they're interested or thinking about it? Yeah, I typically have my house available to, to view. Yeah. Uh, and then my partner has one as well. It was built by a company out of Tennessee. And okay. um, we give tours of both of them pretty regularly. Awesome. And it's Carpenter Owl, Owl like the bird of prey. Because people get confused sometimes and think I say owl like A-L. Oh, owl. Oh, I, I guess I wouldn't owl. know. Yeah. <laughs> like Al Bundy? Yeah. Like Al Bundy. Like, yeah. Nope, not like that owl, like hoot hoot. Um, so Instagram, Facebook, and I'm going to, I've got 30 seconds. I'm going to read those show times again because I really want everybody to go and watch these shows. February 15th at 10 p.m. on the DIY. These are all Eastern times. Uh, February 16th at 1 a.m. and February 22nd at 1030 uh, PM on the DIY network Eastern. So check that out. Thank you so much for coming in today. Really, really interesting show and, um, exciting kickoff to our series on sort of alternative housing options. Um, I love the creative outside the box thinking that we're going to have coming on in the next few weeks. So appreciate your time. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in. This was real real estate today, your home for smart real estate. Thank you for tuning in to Real Real Estate Today. Please join your host, Deb, tomorrow for another edition every Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until next week, take care of your home. It's one of your most important assets.